Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. It's going to be a good night. Welcome to Horizon West Church, uh, those watching online, we want to welcome you, as well as those who are in the room, and welcome to 2021. Amazing what <laughs> the difference that one number can make, right? Um, it's, uh, it's good to be with you guys tonight. Uh, Marcy mentioned it earlier, and uh, we're going to talk more tonight about our word for the year. I'm going to share my word for the year, and if that's a new concept to you, uh, First Orlando, which is the church that we are connected with and the church that we're a part of, uh, Senior Pastor David Youth has been challenging for at least the last 10 years, probably many more years than that, um, uh, each year for us to pray and discern and work through what a word for the year might be from the Lord, something that gives our, uh, our, our you know, life focus and kind of a, a drive towards something. And so I've done this every year for the last several. And last year, you might remember if you were here, uh, that my word for the year was disrupt. I promised that I had nothing to do with the disruptions that happened in the world, and I honestly was not thinking about it from the standpoint of external disruptions, but really from uh, God doing a positively disruptive work in my life, and I can say one year later that God did that. In fact, I want to share just a few of the, the ways that I believe God positively disrupted my world in 2020. One uh, was prayerfully, prayerfully, Nikki and I, uh, really, especially over the summer, uh, have a renewed sense of calling to ministry and, and to this congregation specifically. That There was a fresh wind that God blew into our sails. Um, he then lined up a new home for us to move into in the Horizon West community, something we'd prayed for for a couple of years. And if you've moved recently, you know that moves are disruptive, and yet it was a good disruption. Uh, I'm also thanking God for the disruption of, of staff, uh, new staff who have come to us who have the heart of God, the heart of this church, and are providing incredible leadership for us. Two of them, Marcy and Austin, in the room with us. Thank you guys uh, for being positive disruptions uh, to, our, to our church community. Um, and then I think even just learning the commitment and faithfulness for a, a campus that was only 18 months into its existence uh, to see people continue to come and to pray it through and to hold it up and to participate in what God is doing here uh, was, was a great thing. <clears throat> and then finally, I would say I, I really am coming into 2021 with a, with a sense that all of the disruptions of the year have really been God's way of positioning us for the greater things he has for us in this year and the years beyond. And so I don't have the word disrupt this year. You'll be glad to know. I have a new word, and this is it. My word for 2021, together together. I was doing some research on this. Uh, I'll give you the, the dictionary.com definition, and you can leave that up for just a minute here. Uh, dictionary.com defines it as in a, a condition of unity, compactness, or coherence, okay? So the idea of things being uh, united in that way. Uh, I looked up the Greek for the word because the word together appears a ton of times in the New Testament, and because I know you were curious what the Greek word for together is, this is what it is, episunago, episunago. And some of you, if you've been around church for a while or you know Bible terminology, you might hear a word that's somewhat embedded in the word episunago, synagogue, right? Synagogue. It's the idea of the place where people would assemble together, synagogue. In fact, the Jewish people still to this day have synagogues, but the early church met in synagogues because they didn't have church buildings yet. 
And so the synagogue was the place where the early church uh, would gather uh, weekly as well as in their homes during the week. And so I want to take a, a brief time out to, to say something. I'm going to address the online audience because it implies, applies more uh, to you guys. But I want to speak just for a second. Um, I know that there's some of you that have not yet come back to the, the physical assembling together. And there are a few reasons that you might be watching online this morning. So one of those might be that you're just on vacation and you're recharging, um, which is a good thing. And we're glad to have you. Uh, another reason may be that you have legitimate health issues and you're in a category where coming could put you at significant risk. And prayerfully, you've come to the conclusion that it's best to just remain online for a while. And I see some of you who are faithful online every Sunday morning commenting and connecting together, uh, but you're not yet ready to come back. But I also believe there's another group of people who just have gotten out of the habit. And what started maybe as a legitimate concern has now just become a habit of, well, it's just easier to not gather. And if that's you, I want to allow the conviction of the Spirit to rest on you for just a minute and to say as your pastor uh, that it's time. It's time to prayerfully uh, consider if God would have you to come and be part of the physical assembling together once again. So with that in mind, um, let me talk for a little bit about what direction I'm going with in this idea of being together. Because as much as together is a physical thing, I believe it transcends physical gathering. When we talk about the idea of being in a condition of unity or compactness or coherence, you probably know this intuitively. It's possible to be physically together and yet not together. And anyone who has been in a toxic church or work environment can attest to the fact. Anyone who has been in a failing marriage can attest to the fact that together is less about physical together, and it's more about spiritual and emotional togetherness. In fact, the biblical picture of togetherness is that of being united in mind and spirit for a particular cause or purpose. The early church, we know, was scattered and yet together. They were scattered, yet they were together in this united purpose. Now, let me talk for just a few seconds about what I don't mean with the word together, because for some people, that throws up a little bit of a caution flag, like, Ugh, what are you talking about here? So here's what I don't mean by together, and it's illustrated for us in the Psalm. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1, 3, this is a picture of, of a version of togetherness that we don't strive for. Psalm 2, 1, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying... Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Guys, if you can go back one screen, I want to highlight two words that are next to each other, separated by a comma, together against. Together against. There is a way of being together as a people that is not at all the picture of biblical togetherness. This phrase, together against, actually appears several times in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the early parts of the Bible where we see the council of Israel grumbling and complaining and speaking together against Moses and God's leadership through him. Together against God and against his purposes. It's somewhat like Nikki and I feel sometimes like our kids have conspired together against us. Have you ever had that experience? It's like, did they just plan this today? Like they were all going to have their worst day of the week on this day and at this moment, right? Together can be a negative thing if it's not directed in the right way. I've actually come to the conclusion this, that the only way for there to be full togetherness, perfect unity in the world would be this together against concept. 
Because the Bible is very clear that the hearts of men and women are bent against God. And there is a pressure in our culture, a pressure in our society, in our world to be together against God and his purposes. The world's saying to us, hey Christians, these outdated archaic ideas, look at all the harm that has come through your faith. Look at all the, 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 the war and, and the persecution that has come because of religions. The world would be better, as John Lennon said, if we could just imagine a world where there is no religion, right? And step aside and, and be together as a humanity, but one that excludes God. This type of togetherness, Christians must always be the outlier to. We must always stand and say, we will not sacrifice truth or the glory of God for the sake of a temporary, and by the way, very fragile and fleeting unity that we might have without him. So now let's talk about what we do mean with the word together. I want to give you three ways uh, today that we're going to strive as a church to be together in 2021. Three ways that we're going to strive for this virtue. Number one, we're going to be together within the immediate family. Now, this could have personal application. You could apply this and say, we as a marriage and, you know, adult uh, parents and kids, yeah, we're going to be together. But I'm actually referring to the spiritual immediate family that is Horizon West Church. As scripture portrays the body of Christ or the church as a family. And yet we know that, you know, there are families and then there are extended families. And, and the local church to me would be the spiritual immediate family. This is where we have our spiritual fathers and mothers, brothers, sisters, sons, and daughters. And so we're going to be together within the immediate family that is the local church. 2020 was tough, right? Um, and I'll tell you the way that it was toughest for me. It was not tough for me from a health standpoint. It was one of my healthiest years, actually. Um, it really was not tough financially. God was gracious to allow your giving and the giving of our greater church body to sustain the, the, the salaries and the pay of, of those who are your shepherds and, and those things. So it wasn't challenging in that, those ways. It was challenging in this way. When you are a pastor, and the, and the word for that is just the word for shepherd, when you're a shepherd, a shepherd has a unique role in actuality, and the metaphor applies within the church as well. A shepherd is responsible to care for a group of creatures that he does not own. They belong to someone else. They belong to the owner of the sheep. But it's his job to care for those sheep in the way that the owner would if he was wearing the sandals and carrying the staff. And not only does he have to steward those in his care, but the goal is to keep them moving together to the green pastures, moving them together to the still waters. And when one strays off, the shepherd has to go and get it because there can't be disunity among the sheep. This is what was tough for me as a pastor in 2020. It seemed like everything that could polarize us did. It was an election year. There was social unrest. The, the, the COVID-19 situation created all kinds of political uh, you know, situations and issues that we disagreed on. And there were differences in the ways we viewed things like health and freedom and privacy and the role of government in our personal lives. There were differences in the way we viewed social movements and even the way that the church should respond to social injustice. There were differences in some cases in the people we voted for or the way that we trusted the integrity of political outcomes. These differences were massive, seismic, and it was tough to pastor a community of people where I knew God had given me to keep us together 
when the world was trying to pull us apart. If there was a singular ethic that I believe God has called me to live by, it's John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus' words to his disciples. He said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. See, it's love that binds us together. It's love that gets us through the hard stuff, the places of disagreement, the places where we don't really see eye to eye, but we say, but you're my brother, you're my sister, and because of the love of God in me for you and in you for me, we will even set aside lesser differences as we strive to love one another in the way that God has called us to do. See, to choose together within the immediate family of Horizon West Church is to choose to love one another even when we're not really sure that we like one another. I'll share just very honestly and very personally that sometime around the summer, when things were at their uh, peak uh, in our country's kind of turmoil, especially over issues of of racial justice and, and racial reconciliation, This is something God has put a passion in my heart for and I'm unapologetic about it. I believe that the only way to flesh out the the command to love one another is to do it across cultural and ethnic divides. If we don't do that, we don't really love each other, right? The Rotary Club can get together and have a good time, but we're called to be a church that comes together across some of those lines. And so it's a passion of my heart. And there were a couple times over the summer where I expressed that passion on social media or express that passion from the stage and the things that happened after that kind of got away from me. I'm not apologizing for the things that I posted. I'm not apologizing for the things that I said and I'm certainly not apologizing for the passion God has put in my heart for racial justice and racial reconciliation. However, on at least two, maybe three occasions that I can think of, if you were to look at my post and then get down into the comments section, you would see me doing battle with my ego rather than the heart of God. There were a couple places where I sacrificed relationship in the name of winning an argument. And why that doesn't work is pretty straight and pretty simple. If we're gonna have a passion for reconciliation, reconciliation is about people coming together. And so even in areas that we're passionate about or that we're even right on, and that was the hard part, I'm like, man, I've got the the moral high ground and the logical high ground. I can just win this argument. And then conviction began to settle in. That's not unity. That's not how you'd speak to a brother or sister. In fact, even within my actual physical immediate family, there were tough conversations and there was forgiveness and reconciliation because we were dealing with it there too. But I just want to say that because maybe you found yourself in a place over the summer or sometime in this past year where you went, Man, this stuff is hard. I don't know how to engage in this without, and and I can't disengage, right? It'd just be easier to just, you know, turn a blind eye. We've got to engage in the hard conversations and yet do it with love. Together means doing the hard work of reconciliation while at the same time doing the hard work of relationship with those who have different views. That's what I mean by together within the immediate family. Five years ago, our John Young campus, which at the time was just First Orlando because there was no Horizon West campus, had a remodel in our worship center and we called it all out. If you were part of the church, you remember this. We were all in different buildings in different places. Um, I was overseeing the the campus that met at the student center on Sunday mornings and there'd be a couple hundred people in there and I would host those services. And before we all re-entered the worship center on a Sunday morning, Pastor David 
called us to do something that I thought was really cool. And I know some of you guys participated in it as well. Maybe those online, you remember uh, doing this as well. But we were asked to just write the name of a person that we're praying for, that they would come to know Jesus, or a verse that God had put on our heart for the church. And so my family, probably just four of us at the time, not five, my family entered that worship center when it was still just concrete and there was no carpet laid. And I wrote Romans 15, 5, and 6. This was my heart for the church then. This is my heart for the church now. This is what it says. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know that this was written at a time when racial issues were massive. Jewish people who had been kind of, they kind of cornered the market on relationship with God for some thousand, couple thousand years. All of a sudden, people who weren't Jewish were manifesting evidence of the grace of God in their lives. And it was disruptive. Gentiles didn't eat the things Jews ate and vice versa. They didn't speak the way they spoke and vice versa. There was challenges to the way that they would gather together. And they worked through those challenges. And the Apostle Paul would tell us, make it your goal to have one heart, one voice, one united purpose to make Christ known. And so my desire, and I would ask, would it be our desire for 2021 and beyond? Let us move toward one another, coming together as an immediate family of believers and making this Romans 15, 5, 6 a reality within our local church body. So that's first. That's the first way we're going to strive uh, to be together is within the Horizon West campus. Here's number two. We're going to be together with the extended family, the extended family. So like in your family where you have maybe a mom or mom and dad and kids, and, but then you also have aunts and uncles, right, and, and other relatives. And you might not see them as much, uh, but when you come together, you're family, right? At the end of the day, that crazy uncle, that crazy niece, whatever it might be, it's family, extended family. And we have, as the body of Christ, as a local family, we have extended family, members of other churches, other congregations, other communities who are not in our building, but share our faith. A little while back, I was talking with a, a family member, someone that I've prayed for many years now that, that he would come to know Jesus as his savior. And we got into a political conversation that I kept trying to steer toward a spiritual conversation. And we'd get there and kind of fall back and we'd get there and fall back. And, and I kept just trying to bring it back to Jesus and bring it back to the truth of God's word. And the conversation ended with him saying these words, well, I guess at the end of the day, all religions can lead us to truth. I went, man, I think I miscommunicated something in that conversation or else I just didn't change his mind. Uh, but what, what he was pointing to was a wrong application of something that is true. And conservative and orthodox theologians agree with this sentiment, all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. This was born at a time in, in our history when if you didn't come out of the church, it was rejected. I mean, if the science wasn't birthed in, in, in the community of faith, they just rejected the science. And somewhere along the way, shortly after the Renaissance period, some theologians just started saying, hey, if it's true, all truth is God's truth. Even if a person isn't a follower of Jesus, even if they haven't submitted their life to God, if they figured out how the sun works and how the earth revolves around it, God created it. It's truth, right? 
So there is truth to say that all truth is God's truth. However, it is not true to say that every way leads to God. Jesus couldn't have been clearer in John 14, 6 when he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one way of ultimate truth, even though all truth is God's truth. What I mean by extended family, together with extended family, is that we are going to be together with those who are part of the community of Christian faith. I tried to whittle this down to the most basic things that are true, I believe, of every Christian and make us distinct and different from those who are not Christians. Here it is. I'm going to call this our family likeness. Number one, we hold scripture as the basis for our beliefs and practices. You probably know this. Not everybody does, but Christians do. Number two, we believe that Jesus was crucified to cover our sin and that he was raised to life on the third day. We don't believe that's a clever story. We don't believe it's, it's a cool, like, religious thing. We believe that a physical man named Jesus died and three days later was raised to life by the power of God. We also believe that grace alone through faith secure our salvation. That's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, meaning there's no amount of good works. We can't pile stuff up on the scale and say, look how worthy I am of God that we believe the only way to salvation, the only way to have a relationship with God is by the grace of God received through faith. And then finally, Christians are those who seek to walk in obedience to the will of God personally and also to see the kingdom of God advance in the world. This is the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come. This is a distinct and unique thing about Christians, different than everyone else in the world. So where I did, uh, differed from my family member was these family likenesses, go ahead and put them up for a second. These family likenesses are not true of most people in the world. We still love them. We still treat them with kindness. Uh, we can be in relationship with them, but we recognize just like in our actual families, there are some people that are family and there's some that are not family. Uh, Another way to think about this is tents and tribes. We don't live in a tribal society, but in tribal societies, you would have tents or huts. You have the place where the family is, but then you also have the tribe, which is also part of your people, even though they don't live in the same tent. We We have family members that are part of the same family of God, even though they don't gather in this building or on this night. So Jesus had to address this with his disciples. As early as, like before he even died and was raised to life and left the earth, Jesus had to address the issue of who do we get along with? Who do we work with? How how does this work together? And the situation is that there was someone or maybe people who were doing the works of God, but they weren't part of the 12 disciples. And one of those disciples, a guy named John, threw a flag. This is what he said. John said to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. But Jesus said, don't stop him. No one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. Basically, to whittle it down, this is what John said. He said, Jesus, if that guy isn't in our tribe, then he doesn't get to do those things. And Jesus basically responds, John, it's okay that he's not with you. He is with me. You saw that, right? John's like, he's not following with us. And Jesus says, yeah, 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 but he may not follow with you, but he is following after me. And there are churches all over our community, several of them in this area, who aren't 
they don't go by our name. They may not be, even be our denomination, but they're following Jesus. And in 2021 and beyond, we're going to link arms with them, and we're going to do the work of the gospel together with them. I've come to believe that we are no longer competing for congregants with the Presbyterians and the Pentecostals. I don't think that we ever were, but there was this sense in past generations that, that we had to get them or the other church would get them. In a post-Christian America, that is no longer true. It, it is not whether we get them or the Methodists get them or the Presbyterians. It's whether Jesus and heaven get them or Satan and hell get them. That is where the competition lies. And so we're going to work together with other churches. I, I want to give you three quick reasons why we're going to emphasize this. Number one, by working with other churches, we get added people and resources that make us more effective in ministry. So it's just kind of common sense, right? Like if we do something with just us, we have just our resources and our perspective and our people. We branch out with one more or two more or three more or four more. Pretty soon, you can have many churches working together. You have added resources. You have added impact, and that's a good thing. Here's the second reason we're going to emphasize work with other churches. You may not know this, but it actually eliminates one of and maybe the number one reason that non-churchgoers reject Christianity, which is this. They're convinced, and in some cases with good reason, that all churches really care about is increasing their own attendance, building their own name, and increasing their budgets, and, and all selfish things. I'm not going to that church. They're just all about them. And when non-churchgoers, when non-followers of Jesus start to see churches link arms and go, wait, you guys don't even share, there, there are certain ways you disagree about how to do church or what days to meet, or, but, but why are you so connected? And we say, because we agree on Jesus and Jesus is worth it. And, and we're gonna be united together for that reason. And it can eliminate one of the major excuses that people have for rejecting church. They intrinsically feel what the psalmist said in Psalm 133 verse one. He said this, behold or look, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. If they can look outside of the church and see better unity than what they see within churches, there's a problem. And working together can remove that barrier. And then third, and most importantly, working together with other churches glorifies God. It fulfills what Jesus meant when he said, by this all people are going to know that you're my disciples. You got to love one another. So, there's two ways we're going to strive. One is within the immediate family of Horizon West Church. One is beyond with other gospel-centered, Bible-believing churches. And here's the third and final way we're going to strive for together. We're going to strive to be together for the glory of God. Together for the glory of God. The glory of God is the theme of the Bible. From Genesis through Revelation, it all comes back to this, that God is to be glorified. Now, the good news is, as John Piper has said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You might have been brought up and maybe directly or indirectly you picked up that you could choose to be happy or choose to glorify God, but you couldn't do both. And the good news is God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. As we pursue what is truly best for us, most glorious, most fulfilling, we are at the same time glorifying God and vice versa. So the glory of God is, is the continuity of all of scripture. And, and I'm going to show you this just real quick in, in this idea of being together for the glory of God. It shows up in Genesis 1 verse 28. The very first commandment that God ever gave, he says this, God blessed them, Adam and Eve. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens 
and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This verse tells us that God's desire for humanity, the original design, was a world filled with people who naturally echo the glory of God. That we would live in harmony with each other and in harmony with him and the way that we steward creation, the way we love each other, the way we multiply the earth, it glorifies God. Unfortunately, the first people and every person after them chose our own way. We chose a different route. We chose to pursue our pleasure at the expense of the glory of God. We said, I'm putting myself first. I'm putting myself on the throne. And so something was broken. Something had to be made right. And so Jesus comes and Jesus gives his life. His blood is shed on a cross so that the sins of men and women, ourselves included, would be paid for and the justice of God satisfied so that we could once again be in relationship with God and by the way, in relationship with each other. Someone pointed out once that, isn't it interesting that Jesus died on a cross? There's a beam going from earth to heaven and there's a beam going side to side. God's reconciliation through Jesus on the cross was both to himself and to one another. And then Jesus gave a parting instruction. So the first commandment given to people is echoed in Jesus's final instructions to the disciples in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You may have never seen this connection, but what Jesus is doing here is actually reconciling the original design of God to have a world filled with people who would magnify the glory of God. But the way it would happen now is by redeemed people, those who have been redeemed, forgiven, and brought into relationship with God to live their lives out in such a way that they're returning people and restoring people to the original design that God had in the garden. This is the mission that we and other Bible-believing gospel-centered churches get to participate in. This go-into-all-the-world mission of making disciples. So we see it in the first commandment, we see it in the Great Commission, and we see it in a final culmination of human history. In Revelation 7, verses 9 through 10, John, seeing a vision in heaven, says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. What I have come to believe is that as Jesus is giving the disciples this great commission to go into all the world and make disciples, he's envisioning what he already has sees in his, in his eyes as God. He sees the reality of that, the culmination of that, where all of those nations and tribes and languages are together in worship of Jesus. And it tells us something very important. God is most glorified when we glorify him together as one, right? It's not accidental. It's not just happenstance. It's not like, oh, by the way, uh, just go, go everywhere and do this. From day one and all through the design and the desire of, of scripture is God reconciling people who are different so that in heaven, there's multiple nations, multiple languages, multiple shades of skin color, and we're all united in one place at the feet of Jesus. The great commission on earth is to culminate with a grateful community of worshipers in heaven. That's what it's all about. 
And so I'm going to close with uh, two things. One is a vision statement that is something we've kind of come to own at Horizon West Church, and we talk about it, and you've probably heard me talk about it. But I want to paint this for you as a visual. I want you to imagine what this could look like as God manifests this among us. We say this, we strive to be a diverse community of good friends together doing good works and sharing the good news of Jesus. Doesn't mean we're all going to be alike and it doesn't mean we're always going to like each other, but we are going to be one body, good friends, doing good works and sharing the good news of Jesus. And so with that, I want to introduce, and team, you can come up and go ahead and get in place. Uh, I want to introduce a series that we're going to launch into next week. And I want to encourage you, those in the room and those in line, I want to encourage you for the next few weeks at the very minimum to, to stay with us and to walk with us. Uh, we're going to be diving into a series. We're calling it this, Rebuild. Rebuild, because it's time to do some rebuilding, isn't it? And we're going to go to the book in the Bible that best kind of captures the idea of rebuilding, which is the book of Nehemiah. When God put in the heart of a man a vision to see the place of God restored, the people of God reconnected, and we're going to walk that out over the next several weeks. And so I want to encourage you with that. Let me pray. A team is going to lead us in just a moment in a song called No Other Name. And this just once again reiterates what we are all about. That even as we strive for unity, it's unity over one thing and around one name, the name of Jesus. So let me pray and then team lead us. Father, I thank you for the privilege to lead this community of people, God. And I thank you, uh, maybe lead's not even the right word, God. Thank you for the privilege to serve this community. Um, God, I thank you for the ways that they uh, speak to me, minister to me, serve me, love me, my family. Um, God, we're grateful to be part of it. God, I pray that the year 2021, it's not going to be a, a magical, you know, everything's better, everything's different, everything's roses. Uh, we know, God, that it's going to be hard. We know it's going to be uh, at times painful. Uh, we know there's going to be uh, pitfalls and threats and danger physically and emotionally and spiritually. And certainly uh, it's going to threaten the unity of this church. And God, I pray that we would make this one commitment that we're going to surrender to the name that's above every name that at the name of Jesus, we would all come together and that we would set aside secondary and lesser things so that the glory of God might resonate more fully from your people. And that's our commitment. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.